Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Let's give the Lord a great praise tonight. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. The best decision you've made all day was coming to the house of God. And I'm glad to be here once again. I count this a tremendous honor and uh, love and appreciate the McGee family so much. Uh, friends of mine for many, many years. And uh, just love and appreciate them. Great, great leaders, great preachers, great singers. Uh, the Mason family, wonderful, wonderful people. I love and appreciate them so much. And uh, as most of you know, myself and Sister Don McGee grew up in the same area. Went to school together for a little while. Brother Andrew back there. And then our your mother just found out a few years ago. Uh, that somewhere distantly related. I think it's a great-grandfather on your mom's side and a great-grandfather on my wife's side are brothers or something like that, some sort of connection. And so we're actually family. So all those years ago when I was being mean to her and trying to talk her into doing my homework for me, we never knew we'd be connected and related one day. So, uh, But I love and appreciate this great family, and uh, they're dear friends of mine. And Good to see Brother Trevor McKissick back there. Uh, blast from another blast from the past, and uh, been uh, it's been several years ago. I preached for his family down in South Mississippi. Had a great time down there. Uh, he took me fishing, and then they took me uh, swimming some sketchy creek that I just knew. I just knew it had an alligator that thought I was an all-you-can-eat buffet, just waiting on me in that that creek. But I love him and his family. Appreciate them. So good to see him. Uh, here tonight. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the 54th chapter. In this chapter, we find one of the most quoted scriptures probably in all the Word of God. We, we quote it, we pray it, we shake our fists at the devil and tell him. And that scripture is, no weapon that's formed against me shall prosper. But I want to draw your attention. That's verse 17. I'll draw you, your attention to verse number 16 of that same chapter. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. God speaking here, he said, I'm the one that created the smith. I control what he creates. I control what he makes. And so I want to preach to you tonight on this simple thought, the maker of the smith. If you'll set your Bibles down, lift your hands and hearts to heaven, and let's talk to God. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your power, your majesty, God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that we have this opportunity to once again to be in your presence and to call on your name. God, anoint me to preach your word. God, anoint your people to hear your word, to receive your word, and most importantly, to respond to your word. And Lord, we give you praise for what you're going to do in this house tonight. 
In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands one more time and add a shout to your hand clap. Can we do that? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You can be seated this evening. A smith, a blacksmith, a worker in metal, a maker, and a creator. A smith's work is done on an anvil forging and forming by heating and pounding. That same book of the Bible, Isaiah 44 and 12, says that the smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals and fashion it with hammers and worketh it with the strength of his arms. So we understand that the job of the smith is to work, to create, and to make. But God said, I have created the smith. In other words, I am the maker of the maker. And because he is the maker of the smith, we do not have to worry tonight. There is no worry about what the smith creates because we know who created the smith. God says in Proverbs 16 and 4 that he made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. And Isaiah, that same book of the Bible that I read out of, he said, I form the light in Isaiah 45, 7, and I create darkness. I make peace and create evil. That word evil means adversity. I, the Lord, do all of these things. So we understand that he made the day and the night, and he made the darkness and the light. And just because you may be in darkness tonight does not mean that you need to lose faith because he made the darkness. You might just be right where he wants you to be tonight because sometimes he teaches us in the darkness what we will use to triumph with in the light. And sometimes he has to gain our trust in the darkness before he can release us into the light. Don't doubt in darkness what you believed in the light. And don't forget in the day what you learned during the night season. Look at Joseph the dreamer. Joseph finds himself in a pit. Because sometimes life's the pits. He finds himself in a pit, but God made the pit. And then he finds himself in a prison, but God made the prison. And God allowed him to go through a pit and a prison because he knew that there would be a palace in his future. And when he was in the pit and when he was in the prison, I guess you could say that Satan had Joseph right where God wanted him. The enemy was trying to destroy the dream and the dreamer, but God used what seemed to be the destruction of the dreamer for the construction of the dream. And I've come to tell somebody tonight what the enemy's trying to destroy you with. God can take it and make you greater than you've ever been before. God can take it because he's the maker of the smith. He has the ability to control what the smith creates. 
It's amazing to me that even the slave traders that purchased Joseph from his brothers, they were his cousins. They were Ishmaelites. They were a representation of Abraham's greatest mistake. But that's what God can do. God can use Abraham's greatest mistake to preserve Abraham's descendants. And God can do the same for you tonight. He can take what you thought was going to destroy you, what you thought was going to end your story, what you thought was going to destroy your witness and your testimony, and he can use it for his glory tonight. As a matter of fact, we find those descendants now slaves in Egypt. And the Bible writes these words in Exodus 1 and 12. The more they afflicted them, the more they beat them, the more they added work to their task load, the more they ripped their crying babies from their arms and threw them to the crocodiles of the Nile River, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. The more Satan attacked them, the stronger they became. And I've come to tell somebody the still, still thing, the, the same thing still holds true in this service tonight when Satan's plan becomes God's purpose in our life because God has always been in the business of taking the curse and turning it into a blessing. While Satan is producing the problem, God has already provided the provision in your life. As a matter of fact, if you study it out, they, they learned while in slavery. They learned skills and trades as slaves in Egypt that they would later use to build the wilderness tabernacle in all of its furnishings. And, and they would pass down those skill sets that they learned in slavery to their future generations and those descendants would later create the temple of the Lord. So we've got to understand that we learn things in bad times. We learn things in difficult times. We learn things in dark times that God will eventually use to fulfill his purpose in his kingdom tonight. Back to the book of Isaiah. God says in Isaiah 43 and 2, When? Notice the verbiage here. It's not if, but it's when. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. What a promise tonight. That when I go through the waters, he's the maker of the smith. He's the maker of the waters. He will be with me. And through the rivers, because he's the maker of the rivers, they will not overflow me. See, God created the wilderness. God created the Red Sea. God created the Jordan River. God created the builders of the walls of Jericho. and But none of them were able to stop his people from reaching their promised land. As a matter of fact, he used those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to remove the problems of Egypt out of their hearts so that he could deposit the promises of Canaan into their hearts. Notice the rest of verse number 2. There's the word again, when. When thou walkest through the fire. 
He's the maker of the fire. Thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. All we got to do is ask the three Hebrew boys. God created the fire so it could not burn them. As a matter of fact, the best I remember, King Nebuchadnezzar got up off of his throne and he looked in the fiery furnace and he looked at his council and he said, did we not throw in three bound? But now I see four loose. When they come out of the fiery furnace, their hair isn't singed. Their clothes isn't burned. They don't even smell like smoke. The only thing that was burned off of them in the fiery furnace were the ropes that had them bound. Could it be the reason the maker of the smith is allowing you to go through the fire tonight? Allowing you to go through the fiery furnace. He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to harm you. He's not trying to burn you. He's trying to loose you from things that have you bound. He's trying to loose you from things that are keeping you from becoming who he wants you to be. Daniel could testify, God created the lions. And since he created the lions, he also had the ability to shut their hungry mouths. The disciples quickly discovered that the creator of the wind and the waves can also rebuke the wind and the waves. Because he's not just a storm calmer, he's a storm causer sometimes. He's the maker of the mountain and the valley. But he goes with us through both and in both. He's the God of the mountain and the God of the valley. And I know I'm well aware tonight of the words in red in your Bible. Where Jesus says that we have the power and the authority to speak to a mountain and cast it into the sea. I know that. But you know what? Sometimes we better see what's on the mountain. Because the view may be worth the climb. Because not every mountain is made to be cast out. Some mountains are made to be climbed up tonight. Look at the story of Job. Two different times. Satan comes before the presence of God. God says, where you been? He said, I've been up and down, to and fro. I've been, in other words, I've been looking for somebody's life to mess up. Because that's what he does. And God, God does something that blows our mind, that messes with my theology tonight. God, in my mind, God should have said, I rebuke you, Satan. Get out of my presence. Leave my people alone. But instead, God says two different times, he says, have you considered my servant Job? And then God starts bragging on Job. And God starts talking about how great Job is and how, how much he loves him and he hates evil. And God starts saying, I've blessed him and he's the greatest man in all the land. And, and Satan almost interrupts God and says, well, God, right there is why he's so good to you. That's why he loves you because you've blessed him so much. If you let me mess with his life, you let me mess with his stuff. You let me mess with his family. I'll show you what Job is truly made of. And God agrees to let the hedge of protection down. 
He agrees to lift that protection around Job's life. And instantly Satan begins messing Job's life up. The Bible says that the thief came to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that's exactly what he did to Job. Because within a matter of moments, uh, everything was either stolen, killed, or destroyed in his life. But what we can learn tonight is that there is a smith called Satan. Because God created him. And because God created him, God has the ability to say what he can do and what he can't do. And when that smith called Satan starts forging a weapon that he's trying to destroy us with, God can say, Satan, you've went far enough. And if I've learned anything from the story of Job, it's this. Satan can only touch me when God allows it. God may permit it and Satan may produce it. But God is the one that will allow us to go through things in our life. He allows us to go through tests and trials and sicknesses. And the reason he allows us to go through these things is so that we will learn to trust in him. Catch this. Like he trusts in us. Because he would never let you go through the trial if he didn't trust you that you could make it through. He knows the end from the beginning. And he knows what you can take and what you can't take. And he would have never let Job go through what Job went through if he didn't trust that Job could make it through the trial. So if you're going through a trial tonight, you are trusted to be tried. You are trusted to be tested. God has faith in you that you can make it through what you're going through tonight. God always gives his toughest battles to his most trusted warriors. Because the real truth is you can't have a testimony if you've never been tested. And you can't have a message if you don't go through some messes in your life. See, I understand who God is. I've been serving him a long time. I know he is all powerful. I know he can do anything he wants to do. I know he has the power. He has the power to keep me from ever getting sick. But you know what? If he never allowed me to be sick, I would never know a whole attribute of God known as the great physician. He has the power to keep me from having problems in this life. But if I never had a problem, I would never be able to tap into him as a problem solver. If I never lost my way, he has the ability to keep me from losing my way. But if I never lost my way, I would have never known him as a way maker tonight. Let, let me take it just a step further. Let me break it down even further. God doesn't have any needs. He doesn't need you or me. He's God all by himself. He's the all-sufficient one. He's the great I am. He doesn't need anything. But for him to show us his greatness, he, for him to show us his power, he needs a need. So he creates a need. 
And, and that's what happened in John the ninth chapter. John the ninth chapter, Jesus uh, is passing by. And, and there's a man there that the Bible says is blind from birth. And his disciples, they do what we do because when somebody has a problem in life, we want to quickly accuse them of something wrong in their life. That's the same thing Job's so-called three buddies did to him. And they said, God, why is this man been born blind? Did he sin? Which that's a dumb question because he was born blind. He can't sin in his mother's womb. But did his parents, did his mom, did his dad, did one of them sin? And then Jesus answers their, their frivolous questions. And he says, neither has this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, Jesus said that when this man was just an embryo in his mother's womb, I reached down and touched his eyes and caused a deformity that made him be born blind. And I knew it would be a handicap for him. I knew it would be a burden for his parents. But I also knew that one day I'd be walking down this road and this man would be sitting on the side of the road and I would reach down and heal his blinded eyes so that that everybody can see my power and my authority and my greatness. See, he's allowing some of you to go through some things and you're questioning why. You don't understand, but God has a purpose and God has a plan. And when he comes through, like he always does, the maker of the smith is going to show the world his greatness. He's going to show the world his authority. He's going to show the world what he can do. Because the truth is, most miracles start out as a mess. So he, in turn, makes the smith that makes the weapon that tries to destroy us. He creates a need. He creates the smith, and he lets him create a weapon. And it's that weapon that he creates that creates a need for us to need him. It might be a weapon of fear, a weapon of doubt, a weapon of hurt, a weapon of sickness, a weapon of fault and failure, a weapon of disappointment, a weapon of heartache, a weapon of family and marital problems, a we weapon of financial despair. But because he creates the smith that creates the weapon, it will not prosper in our lives. In the book of Acts, the church... In Jerusalem, the apostolic church, the first apostolic church ever, they are experiencing unprecedented revival. They are just, I mean, they're, they're, I, can, I can see the 12 apostles meeting with Jerusalem architects talking about, man, we got to build a bigger church to house this revival. We need, we need a church that'll sit, uh, that'll seat 12,000 people. We're having revival. And God creates a smith by the name of Saul, a smith called Saul that creates a weapon because the Bible says in Acts the 8th chapter that Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution. There's the weapon 
He creates persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So God creates a smith called Saul, who creates a weapon called persecution. And what it does is it drives the church out of Jerusalem. So they went from needing a church that sit 12,000 to just needing 12 seats. Because the only people that stayed in Jerusalem were the apostles. They leave and they go out into Samaria, places they would have never went before. They go out into Judea. They go out into the region. They leave their comfort zone because of this weapon called persecution. But notice verse number four. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. If they would have never left Jerusalem, they would have never spread the gospel. So God allowed a smith called Saul to create a weapon called persecution. And in persecution became an ingredient of increase. It became an ingredient for revival. And if they would have never been persecuted and endured pain, the gospel would have stayed in Jerusalem. But that weapon called persecution it drove them out of their comfort zone. It drove them out of their complacency. And they began spreading the gospel everywhere they went. So God said, go ahead, Saul. Make a weapon. But I get to control what I'm going to do with the weapon. And not only does he have the ability to create a smith who creates a weapon, and not only does he have the unique ability to do, to do what he wants with the weapon, but he can do what he wants with the Saul. Because Saul, the persecutor, later became Paul, the preacher. And no wonder Paul would write these words in 2 Corinthians. We are troubled on every side. That's the weapon. But I know the maker of the smith, so I'm not distressed. We are perplexed. That's the weapon. But I'm not in despair because I know the maker of the smith. We are persecuted. That's a weapon he was familiar with. But I'm not forsaken. I'm cast down. That's the weapon. But I know the maker of the smith. I am not destroyed. And back to our original text, Isaiah 54. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. And then comes verse 17. No weapon, no wonder no weapon is formed against me. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Now that's all we ever quoted that scripture. But there's some more powerful stuff in there. It says, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. What a heritage we have. What a hope we have. What a promise we have. I don't have to worry about the weapon because I know who made the smith, and he might try to destroy me, but no weapon that is formed against me can prosper. He can't touch me unless God allows 
allows it. He can't destroy you unless God allows it. So you ought to get excited tonight and understand I may be going through something, but I know the maker of the smith tonight. I noticed something. That's one thing I love about the word of God. You can read something 99 times. And the 100th time something jumps out at you you've never seen before. I've quoted it, I've preached, I've taught on it, I've heard others preaching and teach on it. In Joel, the second chapter, verse 25, God speaking, he says, And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm. But here's the part I never saw before. My great army, which I sent among you. See, we always talk about the enemy tried to destroy us and God's going to restore what the enemy. But God said, that was my army. I sent them. I destroyed some things in your life. I don't know why he does it. I don't, but he knows. I don't understand it, but he understands it. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. They're way above mine. He said, I'm the one who sent. I know they destroyed it, but because I sent them and because I allowed them to destroy them, God said, I had the ability to restore what was destroyed. And all you got to do is ask old brother Job about how the maker of the smith restores for his people because he gave Job a double portion of all that was lost. And I can't help but think tonight that God is wanting to give somebody double for your trouble tonight. He's wanting to give somebody double blessings and double miracles and double church attendance and double financial blessings. Double for everything that you have lost or the enemy has stolen from you because that's what the maker of the smith can do in our lives tonight. If you're not standing, I'm going to ask you to stand tonight. And not only, as I close tonight, not only is he the maker of the smith, but he's the maker of you and I tonight. He's the maker of us also. And he has the ability not only to control what the smith makes and use it for his purpose and even use the smith for his purpose, but he has the ability to make us into what he wants us to be. I'm reminded in closing tonight of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was sent by God. He said, go down to the potter's house. I'm going to teach you something there. And Jeremiah watched as the, 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 this, this potter, this master maker, this creator, began making a, a pot of clay, a vessel of clay. And to Jeremiah, the clay, the, the vessel looked perfect, but... He looks in the vessel, verse eight, eight, chapter 18 and verse 4, the vessel that he made of clay was marred. But notice where it was marred at, in the hand of the potter. See, there's a difference being marred out there on my own. There's a difference being marred out in the pig pen. There's a difference being marred in the world 
but as long as my marring takes place in the hand of the potter, he can still do something with me. And so he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. In other words, he said, I'm the, I'm the maker of the smith and I'm the maker of the potter. I'm the maker. I can control what he makes. And he said, I'm going to create you the way that I want you to be created. Not the way that your family wants you to be or not the way your spouse. But he said, I'll create you the way that I want you to be created. And you might be marred in the, the but you're marred in the potter's hand. And because the potter is still on his wheel and you're still in his hand, he may take you and he may smash you down. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't throw the clay away. He doesn't throw the clay to the trash heap. He'll begin making it and molding it into what he wants you to become. As we bow our heads and close our eyes all across this house tonight. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful that I know the maker of the smith tonight. I'm so thankful that I'm still in the potter's hand. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I know God wanted me to preach this message to somebody tonight. You've been battling. You've been frightened. You've been afraid. You've been questioning. You've been doubting. You've been troubled. Seems like every side, everywhere you go, everywhere you look is another problem, another issue. But I've come to encourage somebody tonight. We serve the maker of the smith. And we don't have to worry about what the smith makes. We don't have to worry about the weapon. He Now, the Bible never says that he wouldn't create a weapon. He will. The Bible never says that the weapon wouldn't wound us, because it will. The Bible never says that the weapon wouldn't bruise us, wouldn't try to attack us. All he said was that it won't prosper, because we know the maker of the smith. So I challenge somebody. I wonder if we could just turn this altar area into the potter's wheel. And we could come and just lay ourselves on the potter's wheel one more time and say, God, You're the maker of the smith. And so you're allowing the smith to create a weapon. But I know the weapon can't destroy me. I know the weapon cannot destroy what you want to happen in my life. So God, I'm laying myself on the potter's wheel one more time. Begin to make me and mold me into what you want me to be, God. Begin to take what I thought was going to destroy me and make me greater. God, take the curse and turn it into a blessing tonight. Come on, as they begin to sing, could you just do that? Say, God, make me what you want me to be. You're the maker of the smith. I give you free free power and authority in my life. I surrender completely to you. And if it takes a weapon to make me what you want me to be, God, I'm putting my life into your hands. You're the maker of the smith. But no weapon that's formed against me will prosper. What a promise we have tonight. What a hope we have. No weapon that a form against you will prosper. 
the words that they have spoken to try to damage you, to try to hurt you, those weapons of words won't prosper. It's a heritage of the people of God. It's a promise. It's a hope we have. We know the maker of the smith, so we don't have to fear what the smith creates today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.